And we're 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 live. We're recording. All right. We're doing it. Good. We're doing it. How are you doing today, Vicky? I am doing quite well, actually. Quite well. Yes. Quite I have well. not been doing very well. No, um, why not? Well, I struggle with depression mm-hmm. and anxiety, and so I was hospitalized um, in a partial hospitalization program a couple weeks ago. So I've been been a little rough, but uh, I'm getting back into the swing of things. So, yeah. yeah. How was that for you, uh, depression and anxiety? It's like- hard. Um, I have struggled with depression since I was in high school. I then lost my dad to suicide in 2010. And um, so depression has always been a part of my life it seems like I've been hospitalized multiple times and um, it's just something that I've learned to live with it's a chronic illness just like diabetes or anything else and um, sometimes I need some extra help and I get that and then I'm okay for a while and what kind of what kind of things do you do to help mitigate the depression and anxiety because like a lot of people they'll have like um by the way this is a bad start to a podcast i'm we sorry just, no no I no just... not your fault we just jumped right in to all the heavy <laughs> stuff um i kind of we'll we'll backtrack a little bit but for you what do you what do you do to help mitigate like the depression anxiety do you work out or do you um go for walks listen to music what what kind of things help you i do a lot of yoga oh and I do a lot of art. I paint, and I paint, and I paint, and I paint. <laughs> what kind of art do you do? Like, what um, kind of things do you paint? Flowers, mandalas. Okay. Things that... Like, realistic type stuff? Or I is mean, it, like... like They're a little realistic, I guess. Okay. But, I mean, I, I'm not a professional artist by any is means. Is anybody? I mean, what's well, what defines a professional true. artist? True. <laughs> I do sell my art, so I guess that makes me a professional, yeah, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, by the by definition of uh, Mike Marriott, do you know who he is? I don't. He runs the Opportunity Arts in Lansing. Oh. And uh, he works with different artists, but his definition of an artist is somebody who sells their work. Like, you could paint all you want, draw all you want, but that doesn't necessarily make you an artist, which I, I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. Um. However, his definition is, you know, somebody who does it for a living or yeah. tries to do it for a living. Yeah, and I, I don't do it for a living. I um, I do it for me. I do it for to get my feelings out. And then my hope is, is that my art will bring motivation and hope to other people to keep going and to keep fighting for what, in whatever fight they're fighting. That's beautiful. Thank you. Yeah. Now, let's backtrack a little bit. <laughs> I'm sorry. I am just, I'm very, very open with my, no, my that, mental health. and That's uh, awesome. That's important. It's very important. Yeah. I just like, I like my listeners to be able to get to know who the person yeah. is, you know, what they yeah. do for a living, where they're from, all that jazz. And uh, I skipped that. <laughs> I skipped that. I apologize. No, no need to apologize. Makes it for a very interesting. It, it might actually pull people in. They might be like, "What? What's going on here?" Right. What? So, um, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Are you from Lansing? Uh, have, did you grow up here? I grew up in Sunfield, mm, which is a small tiny, town. tiny little place. Yeah. Um, but I grew up coming into Lansing. Um, you know, for shopping and stuff like that. I now live in Charlotte. Oh, with, that's where I'm from. Okay. Yeah. With my husband and three dogs. <laughs> Um, big dogs, like German shepherds, big dogs. I've got a German shepherd, an Australian shepherd, and then some mix of something. (laughs) That's crazy. (laughs) Yes. We are a little crazy. (laughs) So you live in Charlotte. How long have you lived in Charlotte? Six years. Do you like it? I do. Yeah, I do. It's quaint, right? Yeah, I do. It's, it's very nice. I can walk to my gym. I can walk to my bar. <laughs> <laughs> That's important. It's important. That's great. That's really important for mental health. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All jokes. But no, I mean, sometimes it is important because it's a so- social life, right? Mm-hmm. Like it allows mm-hmm. you to be able to just, you know, go to the bar, drink and yep. walk home yep. and hang out with friends easily. 
Yep. Yeah. It's important. So uh, what do you do for a living? You you I, obviously don't paint for a living or, or do art for a living. I don't. I am an ultrasound tech. Oh. Um, Sparrow? At Spectrum in oh. Hastings. Oh, wow. That's quite the drive. It is a drive. And it's it's a little rough. <laughs> not, not even going to lie. <laughs> but um, I'm actually going to be going back to school for um, recreation therapy, mm. um, which is someone who does art or uh, music or movement therapy for rehab centers or um, psych hospitals. Um, my goal is to work at a psychiatric hospital at some point and um, be able to share my art and, and stuff with, with, with other patients. So, Art is definitely important for um, mental health, right? Like as mm-hmm. far as like helping people through mental health mm-hmm. and all that jazz, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it allows people to put Express. their emotions on paper, like mm-hmm. um, art or writing too, or music, um, either of those. I mean, there's so many ways that people can express themselves um, with with their mental health, with through exercise, art, music, reading, writing. Um, I did a little bit of writing. I wrote a book um, called Depression Confessions. Wow, what is that about? It Depression, is, obviously. Yeah. But <laughs> well, it goes into my confessions and my truths about living with depression. So it, um, it goes through what it's like to be diagnosed with depression, uh, the recovery process, the relapse process, feeling suicidal. Um, and then it also goes through losing someone to suicide and loving someone who struggles. And then there are 50 other um, people who submitted confessions as well. Wow. So it's it's a pretty cool pretty cool thing that I did. (laughs) Is it published? It is. You can get it on Amazon. Wow. Yep. That's incredible. Yeah, I self-published through through Amazon and it was super easy and I donate all the money that I get from it to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Wow. Very cool. That is awesome. Thank you. So, um, so people can just go to Amazon, order that. I'll put the links in the show notes for this. Yeah. That way people know. And I think I might order that. That that sounds interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah How long did it take you to write it? It actually didn't take me very long because I had been posting these confessions on Facebook. Mm. Um, like I said, I'm very open with my mental health. And so I would post these confessions on my Facebook feed so that other people could see them and learn about depression as it was happening in my life. How did, what's the feedback like for that i know that's pretty, another question that's gonna go down a different rabbit hole no but. no it's it's pretty positive actually um most people are very supportive this episode is brought to you by red bike delivery this delivery service operates only using battery-powered eco-friendly transportation red bike delivery is there for all your delivery needs whether it's dinner for the family flowers for your partner, or new houseplants for your new collection, Red Bike Delivery will gladly deliver those and everything in between. So what are you waiting for? Check out Red Bike Delivery on Facebook or Instagram for more information. Red Bike Delivery, because there's only one earth. It's usually at an art show or um, another volunteering event or something where I will get people that say, um, you know, it's all in your head. Wow. If you just prayed more or if you just smiled more. Are you religious? I am not. Okay. So when so, somebody says you need to pray more, what does that, what, what does that feel like? How does that make you feel? Uh, conflicted. Yeah. Because I know that that's not what's going to fix me. Yeah. Um, you know, it may fix some, someone somewhere, but for me, it's going to be my medication. It's going to be my therapy. It's a scientific medical illness that I have. And 
praying about it isn't it's really not the gonna, fix. It's not gonna fix it. <laughs> Just like going outside more or have you yeah, like have you gone for a walk? Have you read this book? I'm like, oh you guys. Isn't it kind of weird when um like a religious person and I'm not I'm not shitting on religious people, but isn't it kind of weird? <laughs> isn't it kind of weird when you tell them about something and they're like, just something that happened, and they're like, "Oh, I'll pray for you," or I'll "Pray for that." Like, yeah, and that's I, not what I was trying to get from you, <laughs> right? And I have people who uh, who do that, um, and I accept it. Um, sometimes they want to hold my hand. It's definitely a nice gesture, right? For yeah. somebody to be like, oh, I'll pray for you. I take they, it. They mean well. I, yes, I take it as a positive um, response. Yeah. Before or um, otherwise a not positive response. Because um, some people get very defensive or very overpowering. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um. So... When did you write the book? When was that? When did you release it? I know that was part of the question I asked, like how long it took, and you were like, it didn't take very long because you found you, yes. you had been writing yes. it on on Facebook or so posting. It was, I think two thousand eighteen. Oh, okay. So it's so right before the pandemic. Yes. Okay. Yes, actually, that was an important time. Yeah. Yeah. That's very important because that's when people's mental health really started going crazy. Yes. yes. How so being somebody who um struggles with mental mental health and depression and anxiety, that was probably one of the worst times for people during COVID when they were stuck home, they couldn't go do anything, they couldn't go to that bar that's right around the corner, they couldn't go to a gym mm -hmm. at all. Um what kind of effects did COVID have on you? Oh, it was bad. <laughs> <laughs> it was my worst hospitalization. Um, wow. I was hospitalized. So I got COVID in October of 2020. And afterwards, I just had so much anxiety and so much depression. It was also the 10-year anniversary of my dad's suicide. So it all kind of compiled together and... My therapist was not really working out because I couldn't see her in person. Um, I couldn't see my psychiatrist in person. It was, it was awful. And then when I finally actually was sick enough um, to where I needed to be hospitalized, not from COVID, from depression, uh, I was still testing positive. Yes, <laughs> I was still testing positive for COVID. Wow. And so they couldn't place me anywhere. So I had to stay at the hospital for, I don't know how long it, it was, three or four days. Um, because no one would take me. No one would, no one would help me. Wow. And it was uh, one of the worst experiences of my life. And it just continued. Um, I mean, this process this hospitalization in and out, in and out, in and out took probably six months. Wow. And I, this is my first relapse since then. So it's been kind of scary, but. And that was just a few weeks ago? Mm -hmm. Wow. And how yeah. long did you spend in the hospital just it, a few weeks ago? It was, I did a partial hospitalization program. What does that mean? So I only went during the day. Oh. And we did like group therapy, art therapy, um, nursing, um, so like how does food affect mental health and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, and I did that for about two and a half weeks and it's a great program. Um, so what, what kind of food does affect mental health? I mean, I know, but <laughs> like the, the same foods that, are, that are good for your physical health. Yeah. Um, you know, the leafy greens, the, the vitamins, the, that's good the, for your mental health. Yes. Um, the, fats from nuts and fish and so have you changed like your diet since then or what have you noticed that like when you eat certain things that your mental health kind of kind of curbs um not so much eating but if I drink a lot of alcohol mm. my depression and anxiety will tend to get worse for a few days 
Um, so I really don't drink very often anymore. Um, yeah. Wow. So I could imagine that being in and out of a hospital in, in and out of like mental hospitals could give you like a, like a, a title amongst other people like, Oh, wow, that person's crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's just a crazy person. What, what kind of, what kind of, um, what kind of like feedback, I guess feedback would be the word. What kind of feedback have you had from other individuals that are close to you and the way they, their perspectives, perspectives of you? What are, what are those like? Um, it's mostly positive. Mostly, um, people are grateful that I went to get help, um, because they would rather have me alive. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Um, they're proud of me for getting help. They encourage me to further get help. Um, even my coworkers who are, uh, being now short staffed because I'm not working. Even they encouraged me to get help, even though they knew it was going to cause them more work. a lot of headaches. Yeah. Um, so that in itself was, uh, very reassuring, uh, and important to me to get the help that I needed. Is it easy for somebody who um, has an employer to get time off for mental health or not, is it, is it difficult? Not always. Um, I am lucky enough that I qualified for FMLA okay. um, or short-term disability. And um, so what would somebody have to do if they didn't qualify? Cause I mean, for FMLA, you have to acquire so many hours within the year, right? That's how it works at my place, at my employer. I'm not really sure, to be honest. Um, I just filled out the paperwork. (laughs) Fair enough. You know, when you're in that depression, you you don't even want to do paperwork. No, you miss the details. You you don't want to do anything. You want to sleep. You want to you want to die sometimes, and. Um, so when you're in a state of depression, what, what is that like for you? Are you typically like just laid up in bed mm-hmm. or do you just, can you still function at, like around the house? Like, can you do normal daily activities and, or like, are you just kind of just going through life? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, I don't know, like, like a ghost. Yeah. Like a ghost. I can function most of the time, but it's very hard. And I don't want to. And there's a lot of crying. (laughs) Um, People know, people who know me know that when I'm crying, just let me cry. It'll, I'm okay. If I'm not okay, I will, (laughs) I will ask. But, um, but I do tend to sleep a lot. I don't eat. Uh, Yeah, I, it's, it's a struggle. Yeah. Yeah, I could imagine. I don't I don't really suffer from like depression, maybe some anxiety every now and then, but um I, I, I so I don't really understand like personally like what that would be like, but I know that like a lot of people who are depressed or um have anxiety, they they find other ways to like I guess drown it or get like curb curb it, I guess. Like by like drinking yes. or doing drugs or any like anything, anything really eating, all kinds of different things. And when I was, how old would I or how long ago would that have been? I don't even know. Eight years ago, I did. It was the first hospitalization. It was the first time my depression had gotten so bad that I was having thoughts of killing myself. Um, I did turn to drinking and abusing my prescription drugs. And luckily, my family knew the signs um, based on my dad's suicide and stuff like that. And so I was able to get help before anything developed into too bad of a habit okay. or, a, or a problem. But, um, yeah, it was, it was an easy... It was an easy way out right. of my head, right? But that's just not the healthy. But then it kind of gives you gives you other problems on top it of does. that, right? It does. Yeah, 
makes everything a little bit more difficult. Yes. Yes. Wow. Um, so at what point did you become kind of an advocate for uh, suicide prevention? So my dad died in 2010 and I found my first out of the darkness walk uh, in 2011. So I've actually been a volunteer with the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention for 11 years now. Um, so that was before my depression was even a big thing. So you never really suffered from depression until right after that. Yeah. I mean, I had depression in high school, um, but it wasn't, I didn't ever need to be hospitalized or anything like that. So that was good. Um, I was able to get help. I was in therapy all through high school, took medication. How old were you when your dad died? I was 19. Wow. So my sister was 17 in high school still. So Wow. um, But he had a long struggle with depression, PTSD. He was um, military, uh, survivor's guilt. and Did he ever get help for any of that? Yeah, he did. He tried anyway. Um, But... Sometimes depression is not fixable yeah. for some people. And was he on medication? He was. Wow. Yeah. He was seeing a therapist. Um, yeah. But it was too much for him. So what I'm you- proud of him, though, you know, for fighting for so long. And um, yeah. What what are your opinions on like the military? Because um, they they do some work with maps. Do you know any anything about that? They do uh, like MDMA in um, different treatments like that to help with like PTSD and, and depression, and all that for uh, veterans. I don't know much uh, about that at all. Oh, actually, you should look into but it, but I will. You should yes. definitely look into that. Yeah. Um, because I guess it helps tremendously. Hmm. Well, and. I wish I it's could probably, pull it up. <laughs> it's probably something new, fairly yeah. new. Yeah, it is. Um, where 10 years ago, it wasn't available. We probably wouldn't even be having this conversation. No, we would Because wouldn't. I no wasn't one, doing it 10 years ago. <laughs> well, there's that. <laughs> but people didn't talk about depression. People didn't talk no. about suicide. No. Um, I remember having to tell people that my dad died by suicide, and they looked at me like I was absolutely nuts and there was like a a stigma like around it to where like like there must have been something seriously wrong with that person you know for them to want to do that or Or they're they're just selfish or you know stuff like things like that is what people would say yeah but they don't they didn't understand the capacity of somebody's mental health right and a lot of people focus on the environmental factors of a suicide so um, what do you mean? So environmental factors are like a breakup, a job loss, um, something, I don't know. Yeah. Breakup, job loss, divorce, some sort loss, of extreme of, loss event. of a person, death of a person. Yeah. Um, a lot of people just see that and think that that's why someone dies by suicide, but that's actually not true. There are three factors, um, biological and, and now, of course, I'm going to forget. And I do this training, like, all the time, so. You want to look it up me. real quick? Let's look it up. Um, we can take our time. I'm sure you could find it quicker than I can. Well. No, because I'm on airplane mode. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, uh. Um, so I don't hear, I'll let you. Oh, here we go. Sorry, everybody. No, you're good. They're good. I think it's important to, when we talk about things like this, to not just state it as a blanket statement, but to kind of pull it up and 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 talk about it precisely. Right. And I, you know, I've always been taught to never guess. Yeah, and that's or the, lie or 
And that's the importance of doing a podcast, right? Because you're not on a TV station. It doesn't, it's not like we have to go to commercial break in two minutes. <laughs> right. We can take our time and and pull things and up. Do it the and, right way. And do it the right way. So I'm downloading, it's a presentation that we actually can give. It's called Talk Saves Lives. And it's an introduction to suicide prevention. Um, and this is something that we do through the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to communities, schools. Well, we don't do schools, but we have different programs for schools. Uh what, what kind of, what's, what's different about it for the schools? The schools, we have to be a little bit more careful. Yeah, um, you don't want to We want to make children. Sh- <laughs> right, and we want to make sure that the staff is capable of taking care of the students after we've done a training. Uh, so we have, um, it's real for teens it's an awesome program. I can't wait to deliver it. I haven't, but I haven't delivered it yet because so you guys no haven't wanted it yet. So you haven't done it in schools yet. No, we need My the gosh. schools. We need the schools to want us to come in because we can ask to come in until we're blue in the face and they worry about Depressing. triggering yeah. triggering people. Um, a lot of people think that if we talk about suicide, it's going to cause suicide. Oh, come on. Which is not true. It's yeah. scientifically proven to be not true. Um, you could talk about I'm you could talk about so many different things. It's not going to cause people to go rob a bank because you talk about right. robbing a bank. Right. Like, oh, that's a good idea. Maybe I should try that. Yes. Yeah, no. And and However, did you uh, another sidetrack, but did you hear about that school sh- there was a kid that committed suicide in a school this last week in Ohio? First, I'm going to use this as a teaching opportunity. We actually don't use the term committed suicide. Mm. We instead encourage people to say died by suicide. Um, whereas the term committed really puts stigma to it. It's uh, you commit a crime. You wouldn't commit a heart attack. Mm. You wouldn't commit a brain aneurysm, right? Yeah. So died by it's suicide. just a linguistic... Yeah. So you'd say died by suicide. Mm-hmm. Or killed themselves. By themselves. suicide. Yep. Interesting. Um, I'm glad you told me that. Yeah. Um, but I did hear about that, I think. I don't know. I hear a lot of horrible I'm sure. stories. I'm sure. A lot of people reach out to us. And it's uh, it's hard. I just mentioned that because you mentioned how schools don't uh, don't want you guys to come in and teach this. But it sounds like to me that it would be very important. Yes, and it's needed. Um, it's so needed, but yet the schools aren't, they're not ready. For, I don't, I mean, they should be ready for it. They need to be ready for it, but. I mean, because kids are committing suicide. I don't want to say committing, sorry. Yep. They're, they're dying by suicide mm-hmm. every day. I mean, yes. somebody dies of suicide every day. So if you could create a more education around the whole thing, then, I mean. And we could could, save lives. Yeah. And people can reach out and get help, right? Yeah. I mean. And the programs that we have, you know, they talk about the risk factors. They talk about protective factors. Um, there's, There's so much good in these presentations that I wish we could deliver them to all the schools, um, everybody. So is the presentations that you guys do, are they studied as to like, are they're, they're pretty, researched, they're researched, yep, pretty they're researched um, they're evidence-based. Okay. So, so this stuff has actually worked. Yes. Yep. Um, so back to the risk factors that I was talking about, um, the environmental risk factor is the one I was talking about. So, um, the breakup, divorce, loss, job loss, whatever. There's also health factors such as mental health conditions, uh, mostly mental health factors, but there are other factors like serious chronic health conditions, chronic pain, um, traumatic brain injuries, and then there's historical factors. So a family history of suicide, childhood abuse, uh, family history of mental health conditions, previous suicide attempts, and then there's envi- other environmental factors are access to lethal means. 
Um, so access to medications, a gun, a bridge, et cetera. But th- that would kind of go under the same um, aspect of having a mental health problem, right? Like if you have those things and you suffer from depression or any of those other mental health uh, diagnosis, um, it, it would just make it easier, right? Mm-hmm. Just makes it easier. Right. And having remove those lethal means is a protective factor. So that's something that we would want to do to protect someone. So to protect myself, I have no access to the firearms that are in our house, in our home. I have no access to my own medications. My husband fills my medications every week and gives me my one day supply, which is an amazing thing for him to do. Yeah. Like I, he is amazing. Um, shout out to your husband. Yeah. (laughs) Shout out Mike. Um, and then other protective factors, you know, just having a culture that's smart about mental health is so important. And what we're doing today, talking about it in, in this depth and, you know, me by writing my book and sharing my story, that's what we're doing is, creating an environment that is it's okay to talk about it that it's yeah. safe to talk about it yeah and we, it should be we want people to reach out yeah and um we want people to reach out if they are struggling but we also want people to reach out if they're concerned about somebody um I think a lot of people are, are kind of afraid to talk about mental health because of the stigmas that are mm-hmm. you know attached to it and they're afraid to talk about it publicly too, because like if this, you know, for instance, you're on this podcast, but you suffer from mental health issues. Um, I shouldn't say it like that, but you know, it's like okay. me- mental health, you have mental health uh, issues. Yeah. And you know, so like some people might see this and be like, well, that person's a crazy person or that person, like it just wants attention or, mm-hmm. you know, I've, I've gotten that too, mm-hmm. you know? but you know, the thing is, is like, that's how you normalize things. And that's how you make change to things is by, by bringing attention to it. And if you have mental health problems, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be stigmatized for it. No. And you shouldn't be ashamed about it. It's, you're not any less of a person, for instance, like you still work a normal job. You have a family, you have a husband, you have Mm -hmm. like dogs, three dogs. Yeah. They're probably like your kids. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I think that just alone with our history of mental health, it's kind of set a negative tone for the mental health, like mental health, like the perspective of mental health is kind of been like shadowed or Mm -hmm. like tainted. Mm -hmm. You know, we've kind of like othered people with mental health issues because of our our history and where it came like where it came from people were put into institutions and you were considered crazy and you did not belong in civilization mm-hmm. and we're still kind of dealing with the the effects of that i think today I... even though i'm sorry even though we still like we, we are becoming more open and yes. we're discussing things in me- yes. the mental health field and everything's getting better yes things are getting better <clears throat> um which is amazing just from 10 years ago being afraid to tell people that my dad died by suicide to now, I have no problem stating those words. And the response that I used to get 10 years ago was more negative, more confused, more I don't know what to do, say, or how to look at you (laughs) kind of responses. Whereas the responses that I get now are, oh, I'm so sorry. Um, Do you like when people say that? I don't mind it. Okay. Um, I don't know what to say when somebody tells me something like that. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know what the correct response would be because I, I know that people don't like it when people say, oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sorry that happened to you. Because like, are you really? <laughs> but right. like, what, but what do you say in that spot? Right. What, what do you say? What, um, there's no right or wrong answer. No. I mean, well, okay. I take that back. There's probably some things you shouldn't say. <laughs> You deserved it. Things like that. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Um, But I mean, just being compassionate and kind and listening, um, you know, if the person that you're talking to really needs to just get it off their chest, like 
just be there and listen um, and listen to listen and not listen to respond. Yeah. Um, I love that we're having this conversation because it's Mental Health Awareness Month. It sure is. And uh, I've actually had a couple mental health um, people like uh, in here uh, just recently. Awesome. I had Katie Anderson. She's on, I don't know if you know who she is, but she is like a mental health coach. And okay. she's actually hosting an event this weekend. But um, she also, uh, her her mom died by suicide. Okay. And I think she, I think she said she found her. Okay. I can't remember. I have yeah. to go back and listen. Um, but, you know, and then she found herself as an adult trying to, trying to do the same thing. And she had children. She, like, thought, well, you know, I'm just repeating what, what happened to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so from that moment on, she didn't want to do that from her, do that to her children. Yeah. Um, but then I had a uh, Lori, Lori uh, De, De Bruin in here, and she is a, um, she's like <laughs> she she does like hypnotherapy and okay. like like different. She does meditation, yeah, guided meditations, yeah. and stuff Which like is that. Awesome. Yeah, very awesome. And uh, she talked about how she she found her her brother dead okay. when when they were like. I think seven or eight Oh, and how, like what kind of, what kind of effect that had on her from that age till she was an adult. And she talked about how she hadn't actually handled it Mm -hmm. until she was like 40. Yeah. And the effects of it and everything is just like, wow. Like for me, I've never had to deal with anybody dying by suicide or finding anybody, but I've had other things that happened to me that, you know, would cause so much mental health problems. Mm -hmm. But for me, fortunately, I, I'm in a, I'm young and I'm, I kind of like, I'm in my twenties. So I grew up in the era where it's okay to talk about it and try to find a way to fix it. Yes. And so fortunately for me, I'm not having to suffer from, from all that trauma, but for somebody who's in their forties or Mm fifties and they, they've dealt with all this, this stuff their whole life Mm -hmm. and they're still dealing with it and they don't know how to, to fix it or change it because it's just the cycle of life now. This stuff has been, you know, buried and buried mm-hmm. and buried. Yeah, I definitely resonate with that. I, um, you know, when I when I was at my worst, that was my thought process. You know, my dad did this, so I can too. And that was my sick brain talking. What? And... It's, I don't know. Yeah. What is your opinion of people when they say, well, why would they do that? Because they have somebody or they have children or they have um, this or they have that. Or why would they do that? Because they got so much good going for them. Like, it's so easy to make things look good from the outside, right? Right. But people don't truly know what's going on right. inside your mind. Just like the risk factors that we that I talked about, the health, environmental, and um, physical, and um, it's it's hard for me when people say, you know, that my dad was selfish because he had kids to think about. Um, I that's the one that gets me. Um, because I don't think he was selfish. I think he was sick. And unfortunately, suicide is the means of death for depression. Um, and it's... It's hard. It's hard because people people don't understand. Sometimes they don't want to listen to... The real reasons, um, you know, but when someone comes up to me and says, you know, oh, I'm so sorry he was he was selfish. Wow. Why and would somebody somebody has balls to say that. I've heard it many times, unfortunately. And um, I say, actually, you know, he he fought for a long time. He's probably the bravest person I know. And he was very, very sick. I think uh, a lot of people, when they hear about somebody com- – Dying mm-hmm. by suicide. Uh, I'm glad. I'm really glad you told me that. I know I keep saying it, but it's because it's one of those things that it I is. hadn't been educated yeah. on, and so now it's like it's something I've always said, and now I need to yep. learn how to change that. Yep. 
but I, I do like I do like that died by suicide rather than committed suicide. Yeah. Um, but I, where are they going with this? Um, <laughs> I, oh yeah, I, I think when people you know find out that somebody died by suicide. And they, they think of that act as them as a person rather than, you know, uh, focusing on all the good that had happened and the, the life that they did mm-hmm. live. And mm-hmm. that kind of, that moment defines who that person is for the rest of time. Yeah. That yeah. for everybody else. I have to remind people that my dad was a volunteer firefighter. He was in the military. He saved lives. He helped people. He was a good person he was kind of an asshole (laughs) I don't know if I can say that on here you can say whatever you want I've been swearing too so (laughs) but he he did so much good with his life that how can how can his his last act erase all of that yeah it doesn't well and I think it should say something too when you know people of every generation and every um income like the i mean there's been so many people like that died by suicide i mean look at like robin williams and like some of the great recently um the child dance star or whatever she came out that she died by suicide at 16 and then um the judd oh yeah yeah the mom i can't remember Um, her name i can't remember her first name but um she died by suicide after a long, long struggle with mental illness. So I, I it think it doesn't discriminate. No, it doesn't. And I think, you know, that should say something because, you know, like, sure, you could you could want to die by suicide um, if you have money problems or if you have all these problems. But that that doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. There's more to it. There's more to it. There's more to it. I mean, there are people who will take their life solely for a environmental reason, but most often it's there's more to it. More often there's mental health condition. Um, you know, one in five Americans are going to have a mental health condition at some point in their life. So why aren't we talking about this? Yeah. Like we talk about diabetes or cancer or anything heart disease you know um so that's why i take every opportunity and reached out to you to do this podcast or write my book or go on the news and share my story that way yeah you said you're always on the news (laughs) so (laughs) what do they talk to you about when you go on the news usually it's associated with whatever fundraising event we're doing okay um or like we do state capital day where we uh, talk to our representatives and senators about certain legislature that we want to get passed. Uh, what, what legislature do you do you guys want to pass? There is. Um, have you heard of the cri- the cri- national crisis lifeline? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, in July, that crisis line is actually going to change to a three digit number, like a nine one one. Yep, it's going to be nine eight eight. Oh. And it should uh, definitely be in one number, like right. like seven one one or something. Right, <laughs> Just right. Make, make but, it more simple. Yeah, but it's uh, it's great, but we have to be able to support that, and so we're asking for funding and for infrastructure for this lifeline. How much money does that take? <laughs> what I mean, what how much are you guys fundraising for? Well, we fundraise not specifically for that. Okay. Um, we fundraise to do our programs and stuff like that. Okay. Um, but, I mean, it's not a cheap thing by any means. I mean, this is a nationwide thing that's happening. Why does that cost any money, though? It it's, shouldn't cost any money. Right? I mean, other than having to have people... Well, in having there, we're expecting that the number of calls are going to increase mm. because it's easy to remember. Oh, okay. So we need more crisis lifeline workers. Um, I'm not an expert in the policy world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't have a ton of answers. So has on there been that. any pushback for any of that stuff? Not much. No. How could you push back against right. that? Right. <laughs> right. I mean, 
yeah, they have questions, um, you know, about the, about the money, about, yeah. you know, how, uh, how is this going to be stable? Uh, how is it going to have stability and stuff like that? But, uh, so would it be, um, kind of like funded by like, uh, like tax, tax so money it would be funded just like 911 is funded, okay. which if you ask me how 911 is funded, I do not know. Well, but. it would be through like the police department and like right people writing tickets and that's how that's how things get funded, right? I'm not sure, but I could look. I could get some answers for you guys and yeah, um, it'd be interesting. Give them to you. It'd be interesting to find out. I know out. that um, it is when you buy a phone. There's a fee in there somewhere. For nine one one, really, and there will be a fee for nine eight eight. Wow! So it's going to make phones more expensive. Barely. Barely. <laughs> I honestly Barely. didn't know there is a fee for nine one one. I I. That is what I am led to understand. So. Well, they better answer right away when I call. <laughs> well, and that's one of the things. That's one of the big things with nine eight eight. A lot of people who call the crisis line get put on hold. Wow. Um. And I mean, speaking from experience, if you're in a suicidal crisis, you need somebody now. I need someone now. I can't. So when and, you, and then and then to be put on hold makes it seem like no one cares. Yeah. And now my suicide might be even more eminent. Yeah. So when you call the crisis line, do they dispatch police to your home? How does how do they get you to stop? Do they just talk you? They are trained in um, crisis intervention. Okay. And you know if the situation deems necessary, then yes, they will dispatch whatever needs to be dispatched. Okay. Wow. Um, which we're trying, we're hoping as the world progresses in, in the life of mental health that we'll have more crisis intervention teams um, or people who are specifically trained in dealing with a suicidal crisis. Mm-hmm who would be dispatched instead of the police or in with the police anyway. That would be a heavy job, wouldn't it? It would be a very heavy job. Could but you imagine coming home every day? So needed. Um, it, it, it would be needed, but I couldn't imagine doing that. I, I couldn't do it. I could not do a life, be a lifeline worker. So those people, man... Props to you guys yeah. who, who volunteer because most of them are volunteers. Wow. So, yeah. What do you think about um, like police departments having social workers on hand? Love it. Love it. Mm-hmm. I know that Lansing had one. I, I talked to the mayor once and he said that Lansing had one. But then like a, a couple months after I talked to him, she resigned. Probably because it was that bad. Yeah, you know, stressful. That hard of a job. but. Yeah, hard job um a lot of our officers in the area have been through crisis intervention training um which is great um but we really would love mobile response teams who are specifically there for the crisis yeah but that's something that's down the pipeline you know that we're hoping to get more funding funding. everything yeah it takes a lot it takes a lot Yeah. yeah a lot of manpower a lot of legislature um so we're we're you know we're ho- we're hopeful for the future. Um, what kind of things have you seen? I mean, because obviously, 2010 when your when your father died um, marked a very important like it was a very important time in your life. Um, it was a very important time for you to start focusing on mental health, especially for yourself, but as well as well as becoming an advocate for those alike. Um, what kind of things have you seen change from that time till now? Um, I've seen more people reaching out for help. Um, with COVID, actually, we saw an increase in calls to the lifeline. That means people are reaching out, and that that is great. That is an improvement. Um, I didn't even know there was a crisis line. I didn't either. When I was 19. Um, now, on the back of all high school ID badges is the Crisis Lifeline. Life, life wow. And that's something that we helped 
facilitate. That is awesome. Um, so that they have the lifeline with them all the time. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I've seen the stigma change with how people talk. Um, it's more normalized now, especially I'm, amongst younger people, mm-hmm. uh, like coming up in school. Mm-hmm. They talk about, I, I almost think it, it is normalized, but I also think, I think that a lot of people want something to be wrong with them because they liked, they almost like the, like there's, there's a tension that's surrounded. You get, you get one thing I've realized, cause I know some people who were in in high school and they got some extra help and everything they kind of just skated by school they didn't have to work too hard because they could just say that they had this issue and so i think definitely young people some young people may take advantage of that however i think that it's so normalized now in the young population that it's it's not looked down upon and i don't remember where i was going with this <laughs> yeah but i we we definitely society's definitely taken a turn for mental health. Yes. It's not I I agree. I Yeah, I'm not sure where you were going with I'm not that sure because I don't know if I agree or not. Well, <laughs> depending on because I, um I think we that, are identifying mental illness in in youth. Yeah. more than we were. Do you think it's But is that great do you think it's greater now than it ever used to be? Because that Probably. could be that could be the issue. Probably, I think. I We've think we've got a lot of risk factors for our children: um, social media, bullying, yeah. um, which have always been well, not social media, but um, some of that has always been around. Yeah, but you could leave it at school. But you could leave it at school. You know, I don't. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not an expert in that. Yeah. So I'm not sure. I'm not sure. Um, I think they're being diagnosed because, well, that's something um, that has changed is that now you, when you go to the doctor, you're most likely, I don't know if every doctor has changed. I'm sure some haven't, um, that you get a depression screening. Really? If you go to my ER. How do you screen for that? Um, there are certain questions, and if you score a certain score, what kind of questions do they ask? <laughs> um, <laughs> do you? F- I mean, it's also like I'm just going by like what my emergency department's questions are. Okay. Um, because they also ask like, do you feel safe at home? Mm. Um, have you? And they straight up ask, have you been having thoughts of suicide? Um. Do you, do you think that most people who are in that position are honest? We have found that, yeah, most often people are, people are honest. Like they'll be coming to the ER for something else. Okay. And they, and then we ask them that question and we are able to start a conversation about something that they didn't even know. See, was, I would think, could have been an issue. I think if it were me, I'd be afraid to answer yes, because I would yeah. be afraid if I'm, if I'm going to be held there yeah. and they're not going to let me go home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know what their policy is in regards to that. Um, but it is investigated further. Yeah. You know, because if you are suicidal, a lot of, I don't remember the numbers. Um, a certain number of people who died by suicide have actually been to see their doctor within the last year or six months. So if we're asking the questions, potentially we're catching these, these people who could be at risk a lot sooner. Um, but it depends on the doctor's office. It depends on how seriously they take it. Yeah. I know my personal doctor doesn't take it very seriously and that, infuriates me but <laughs> is it are they a part of a different generation um no no i mean no but you know to each office yeah they have their own protocols they have their own practice you know they have their own way of doing things so it's hard for us to um to make change like 
like that. Yeah. But it is happening. Yeah. It is. I've seen it. Um, I work for Spectrum, and um, we have our zero suicide initiative, and there have been a lot of changes, um, which are so What, cool. what does that mean? Um, more screening. Okay. The screening through the ER um, for pediatrics and adults. Um, and then I actually get to speak at their gala next month. Um because the foundation, the Spectrum Health Foundation, is actually donating to the behavioral health units um, at Spectrum. So that's huge. Um, so I'm super excited for that. makes me extremely sad is when a child wants to die by suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It makes me extremely sad for, for them because I, I feel that when when they're young and they want to die – that it's only going to get greater and greater as they get older if they don't get the proper help that's needed. Potentially, yeah. And um, it just makes me, like, so sad for, for the hope of their life. Mm-hmm. Like, and a lot of people will be – that's where a lot of the stigma and stuff comes in. Or, like, you know, they had their whole life ahead of them. They yada, yada, yada. Hold that to yourself. Because this kid probably had a lot of stuff going on that we don't know about. Yeah. And it sucks. Yeah. That we weren't able to catch it. My, um, um, but my, uh, the, my adopted mom, um, after I had left the home, had gotten other foster children in the house and they had this one kid, I believe his name was, uh, his first name was like Alex or something. I don't remember. Anyways, he was, no, it wasn't. His name was Jason. His name was Jason. Cutest little kid. I I love this kid. He had one eye. Um, yeah, just, and he was, he had the sweetest heart and, uh, he was, when he was in the home, my, uh, my adopted mom, she was extremely abusive. Like, I'm, I'm not sure if she was, uh, physically to him, but she was abusive mentally and, and emotionally. And, as several, there were several times where she told him, you're not, you're never going to amount to anything if you don't do your schoolwork. And that stuck with him. It, it like did something in his brain. And so when he eventually was taken out of that home because there was just too much going on, um, he went to another foster home and they had a two story house and they had a balcony and he tried jumping off the balcony to, to die. He wanted to die. And when they asked him why, um, he did jump at one point and his foster dad caught him, which was amazing. Like how, yeah, yeah. like how did wow. he, yeah. How did that go about? But um, anyways, when they asked him why he said is because my, the previous person um, said I would never make anything of myself. And it's like, wow. Like just saying that yeah. impacts somebody so young, mm-hmm. you know, to the, to the point where they're like, I'm not going to make anything of myself anyways. I'm, I might as well just die. Yeah, and that that's terrifying. And that that just goes to show like what we say matters. And that goes for everybody. Parents to their children, children to their parents, um, teachers to students, any I mean to be told that you're nothing, that you're worthless, that, yeah, that's going to perpetuate this growing yeah. depression, self-loathing, um, and could potentially be fatal. And Especially if you're you're speaking about a, a child's future and their, their quality of life and like, oh, you're not going to, you're not going to make anything of yourself anyways. Like you might as well just give up now or, yeah. and, and it could be, it could be said for anything like a child in sports and they have an extremely aggressive parent who wants them to do well and they, they just can't, they're not, they're not Mm -hmm. skilled or whatever it is, you know, like that's why it's important to be supportive and, and And even kind, kind. just be kind. (laughs) Even if they're not good at it. Good job. You, you tried. Good job. Very good job. Yes. You're doing it. You're still doing it. There's always something kind you can say instead of the horrible you need like to do that. better. Yeah. You need to do better. You did not play good today. Yeah. Yeah. I 
that's what causes trauma, right? Yes. yes. And then in turn yeah. creates generational trauma because mm-hmm. then, you know, you were told that as a kid and then yeah. you would tell your kids that. I mean, you can stop it, but mm-hmm. typically that's what happens. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah. We are an hour in. Wow. That went by super quick. Awesome. Do you feel tired from that? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. You kind of had to dig dig down deep emotionally yeah. and mentally. Yeah. But I mean, it's all for a good, a good reason. Yeah. You know, if one person listens to this and decides to get help or you learning to not say committed suicide, and, yeah. you know, then I... I did what I was here for to do. So. Absolutely. I learned something. Yeah. That's, that's so, what's important. I learned something every exactly. podcast. Oh, usually, I'm sure. usually I'm every sure. podcast I learned something. I learned that I'm an idiot. So, <laughs> <laughs> but, but no, I think it's important for people to know not to say committed suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that there's always hope and there's always help. And all you have to do is ask. Yeah. I think that's very difficult though. It is very difficult, but. That's, I mean, that, and then that goes back to us needing to have the resources available mm-hmm. so everybody knows where to go. I mean, everybody knows when somebody breaks in your house to call 911. Right. Everybody knows when you, you know, have an altercation with somebody, call 911. They know when anything happens that involves the law, law enforcement having to get involved, call 911. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows that. Mm-hmm. Everybody knows, everybody should know who to call when they need mental health. Yes. Help. Or, or suicidal prevention prevention help. Which the current lifeline is 1-800-273-8255. Yeah, that's not okay. Or you can text 741-741. So that's if anybody okay. listening... That's too long. Can, ...can reach a lifeline through those. And then in July, it'll um, it'll change to eight or 988. And uh, the regular lifeline will be still available for a while. Okay. Um, because obviously we don't want to miss anybody. Period. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I'll, I'll also put that in the show notes too. Cool. Um, is there anything else you want to promote while we're on here? Uh, you, you volunteer with who again? The American Foundation the, for Suicide Prevention. Do you guys have any, uh, upcoming events or? We have a coloring, um, fundraiser happening, uh, next Friday at American 5th at six o'clock it's ten dollars and you get to color your little heart away (laughs) there are hundreds of coloring pages hundreds of uh utensils so um come on out color with us take a evening to relax and uh and help fundraise for suicide prevention awesome thank you vicky for doing this it was fun talking to you and i feel like we didn't talk about you all that much this is me, though. <laughs> this is me. Um, a lot of people have called me the suicide girl. Oh, my gosh. Um, because they, They're missing the suicide prevention yeah. girl yeah. part of it. But um, this, is, this is what I live for. This is, this is what I do. If I can save a life, that's, that's all I can ask for. This is your 13 reasons why? No, I'm... Just joking. What my what is your opinion of that show? Real quick. Uh, I have not seen it. No. So I, I truly, um, at the beginning, it was an issue. Um, but the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention actually got involved, and they now have the Crisis Lifeline, um, and information at the beginning and end of the show. So, if you're gonna make a show like that, at least give the resources. It kind of um, like glorified. Yeah. It, right? I, I believe so. Yeah. Um, which we don't want to do. Yeah. But. I watched, I think the first, the first season of it and then I, I didn't watch anymore, but yeah, yeah. it was like kind of glorifying it. I mean, like. and it can be triggering for people who yeah. struggle, which is why I didn't watch it. Yeah. Um, but now AFSP works with Netflix, um, for any show that has suicidal content or loss of someone to suicide, um, AFSP kind of just works with them to make sure it's safe. That's which uh, is pretty cool. One thing I, I was watching the show, it's called, uh, 
a million reasons mm-hmm. why mm-hmm. or something like that mm-hmm. um, or a million little things i think it's a mil- million little things and uh at the end of every episode that has like some sort of like issue the traumatizing thing they have something some sort of uh link or whatever it is like if it's suicidal prevention they have that link and then um abuse and you know they have different different things at the end of each episode i'm like that's that's really cool yeah it's super cool that's an improvement yeah it's an advancement and that's amazing yeah we are making a difference um we are we are all right so thank you for allowing me to share my passion with everybody and uh, see you soon. yeah absolutely thank you